Hey there, and welcome to another episode of After School Program, the podcast where we speak with successful young professionals to find out how they approach their lives and careers after school. I'm Zach McHale, and with me as always is my good pal, Connor Hine. Today's guest is Elise Rodriguez. Elise is an environmental scientist at Churchill Consulting and Engineers. Elise has previously researched for the University of North Carolina, the University of Nebraska, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and many more. She studied insects, animals, and habitats all over the U.S. and even in Kenya. Elise also took a year in between her research to hold positions as a farm worker in Oregon and a firefighter in Nevada. In this episode, we talk about why Elise took time off from her research, what it's like to be a firefighter, why she became an environmental scientist, and her experience in Kenya. Here she is, Elise Rodriguez. I thought maybe a good point to start would be in the middle where between um, undergrad and your uh, graduate school, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you had held research positions all over in Florida, California, and then you went to work at a farm in Oregon and then as a firefighter in Nevada. Could you break down what went into making those decisions and what those experiences were like? I think I need to preface a little bit before I get into it because it's Mm -hmm. it's not the happiest of stories of how that transition happened. I had been doing field research and I loved it. I mean, the time when I was in California doing the desert tortoise monitoring, it's probably some of the best months of my life. And I did enjoy a lot of the work and I continue to enjoy the work. But when I was working at uh, Shinkatik National Wildlife Refuge, there was a study that happened that I wasn't very comfortable with. Um, and I, I, I tend to be a very different scientist than most people. I tend to think that uh, we've messed up as humans. Extinction is going to happen to some degree. And I don't think we necessarily need to have individuals, not even like species, like an individual um, have to, basically we need to save that one individual to maybe save the species because it's not really how that works. Um, but anyway, so there was this one study for squirrels We already knew the population numbers, but because they had us interns, they had the funding to go do a study. They wanted us to uh, go out and actually count how many Delmarva fox squirrels there were. The problem with that is that they had this heart condition. Um, Some of them did, and they were easily stressed, and then they could die. And I actually had a squirrel die in my hands, and that was very traumatic. And I don't think I really, I think that that changed my trajectory to some degree. But you know, also was one experience I learned from it. And I also became that person like now where <laughs> my, my my relation to an individual animal versus a population, I think I, I view it very differently than I think other scientists do. Um, and then I went to Nebraska and I was working for a graduate student and, you know, I've been a graduate student. It's not the easiest thing. I don't, she didn't have a great methodology and there was, ugh, I mean, it was fun work. I was, you know, <laughs> I loved my coworkers, but we all kind of were like, oh, you can't keep changing the methodology. Like, that's one thing I know about science. I don't know that much, but like, that's one thing. The job I got right after that, I was working in Nevada um, through an agency. So, but I was working basically for the Bureau of Land Management and we were doing drought studies. And this is slightly uh, controversial, but also my experiences. So, uh, Two of my main coworkers out of four were very strict Mormons and the drought out West is tied into climate change. And because the Mormon church, at least at that time, I haven't looked into it since, did not believe in climate change. I would watch them alter 
um, data sheets to fit into their belief system. Wow. And that, <laughs> that was it. That was like, that was the third, third straw, I guess. And I was like, I mm. want to try something new. Um, and my friend, he had talked about moving to Oregon. And so I found this farm in Oregon that seemed like a really fun place to be. It was right outside Portland at the half hour. And it was awesome. So yeah, I just kind of made that twist and turn and then talking with friends about what can I do that keeps me outside. That's also team oriented because I love working in a team. And while in firefighting just kept being something that people kept tossing around as an option. And so I applied for a position in Winnemucca, Nevada, and I got it. And I was just so happy. And yeah, it was, it was a, one of the best experiences in my life. What is that like when when you actually get the call that a fire is going on and you have to, I mean, can you walk me through like from the moment you get a call and you actually have to, <clears throat> like, what does that feel like? It's just urgency. I would say the entire summer, there's this like low lying um, level of urgency you feel. There was, even when um, I was off, my phone was always on me. I was very neurotic about constantly because you were technically always on call. Um, because we, we were a small station, so if a big fire did happen, we would have to go. We, I typically would happen, I would get a call from, I worked on an engine with two two guys, um, Luca and O'Malley. It was a small engine. Uh, it was the, called the Unamog. And I would get a call from one of them, and I would see it ring, and I'd know exactly what was happening. And I would strip down, put my, um, like my clothes on, because you have to wear special clothes. And yeah, basically speed <laughs> to the mm -hmm. fire station there was this one really horrible week where my car was in the shop and i was bike riding to the station oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. but i made it work um yeah. and yeah it, there was just a process we had to go through it, like some of the things was just like moving the chalk blocks so uh you could actually drive off um I was in charge of like getting the water. There's like a bunch of like little basic things that you do, just like last minute checks that the engine is ready to go. And mm -hmm. you would start talking to dispatch. And one of the big things with wild and firefighting is you don't necessarily know where you're going. There's a report of smoke. Um, and so you just start going. And sometimes, you know, there was one area where there was dust devils that would happen. So you'd be like, oh, okay, we're just going to go for a fun ride. And then sometimes you'd be like, okay, this, it's going to happen. It's going to mm -hmm. happen. We're going to see flames and it's going to be awesome. So, <laughs> And so when so. you do actually see flames, then what's, what's the first way that they do to kind of put those out? It depends on the um, terrain. So mm -hmm. we were, I worked on an engine, so we would typically drive to the flames. So the way it would work was because there was three of us, um, Luca was almost always the driver. And then O'Malley and I, he started off, he was usually on hose for the beginning of the summer. So we would have a big hose with us. And then my job was to um, lift the hose because there's all this, you know, shrubbery, shrubs. And, and I would also have a tool. So my job was to like, make sure the tires weren't sitting on flames because they, they you know, there are strong tires, but, you know, accidents happen. Um, and then we would switch out like, so being on the hose, like in the middle part, like that's not the most fun adrenaline rush. Mm. Like it's definitely so much better to be um, like the actual nozzle part. And yeah, so you basically, you're just running. You're just running with the hose, putting out flames. And the goal was to be the first engine. So you got to put out the biggest mm. flames. 
So then, so you did that for, for how long? Then? I just did it for one season. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and it was, you know, you can look by my resume. That's how I typically um, live my life was doing one seasons, no matter, you know, I would get asked back, but I always like to keep my memories kind of compartmentalized. I did consider going back, not going back might be on my regret list. Um, but what happened was, is I, I traveled around for a little while and I went back to my parents' home in New York and I got this really awesome job working for New York State Department of Environmental Conservation. And they're offering me health insurance and a retirement fund. And I was like, I, <laughs> I mean, how long down. can I keep living this life? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Coming off of being a firefighter, that probably sounds pretty, pretty yeah. safe there. Yeah, it was definitely um, hard. I was like, you know, trying to figure out like, is this... Is this who I'm going to become? Am I going to go to a cubicle? But I was also, tur- I think, turning 26 at the time. So I was like, maybe this is, I mean, firefighting is hard. I mean, it, it, I have a hip that will never be the same. It's not, it takes a toll on your body. And the weird thing too is because you're given MREs for food, really high calories. I don't mm. know if you've had the pleasure of having an MRE yet. Um, no. Don't is that like space are. food? What's MRE? It's an, it's like military food. Yeah, it's like rations, okay. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really high calories. So you'd go out on a fire because sometimes we'd have long fires be up for two weeks and you'd somehow feel like super fat at the end of it. And you'd mm-hmm. weigh yourself and you're like, oh, God, I actually got fatter. <laughs> you're like, how, how did I get how did I get fatter when I'm sitting in a sauna for two weeks? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just doing yeah. physical labor. That's crazy. Yeah. So but um. That and also, you know, firefighting, the number one way firefighters die actually is heart attack because, um, yeah, it's just like it, it, it does take a toll on the body. So, yeah. wow. I mean, other accidents happen, of yeah. course, too. But, uh, yeah, and you don't see a lot of older firefighters past the age of 35. It starts to be, oh, are you going to start like transition into like being um, at working at the station more? Or a lot of the guys uh, tended to go to work for the mines, actually. So, mm-hmm. yeah. okay. But yeah. So then, so then you started working in New York, and mm-hmm. um, so w- what was that period of time like then? That was a lot of fun. Um, that was the first time I felt a little stable. I moved in with somebody who became um, very good friends with, and. I really loved my job. We were doing what I considered to be like really good work. And it was such a good thing to do after, you know, those couple of stints of biology jobs and me questioning things. And all of a sudden we get thrown into a project that I was like, yes, this is what my 16 year old self envisioned. So, right. And yeah. And was it on, was it on this project that you were looking at the, the PCB? PCB yeah. Contaminants. Is mm-hmm. that like is that like PFOAs? It, it's okay. I'm not going to pretend to under remember. My environmental chemistry teacher is going to kill me for this, but <laughs> uh, I believe that well, PCBs were good for like insulating. Um, mm. I don't know. I don't know what the main. I can't, I'm blanking right now on PFOAs. Um, oh, P- so that was the only reason I know this is from the movie Dark Waters with Mark Ruffalo. That was <laughs> yeah, about the, con- <laughs> the contaminants. It was a phenomenal movie, but it was the contaminants that were used for like nonstick, uh, like pans, no, like yeah, Teflon. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So P- 
PCBs were more like in the electrical, like insulating type of field. So, mm -hmm. but still, uh, like a polymer that's not going to break down easily and it has, you know, similar qualities. So, um, right. but yeah. And so Hutz, that was great. I loved that work. So we were essentially, I actually don't know if I'm allowed to say most of this, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cause we were essentially collecting, um, it was called natural resource damage assessment because GE I can only think of colorful language right now. GE was <laughs> so difficult to help with the cleanup process. That I mean, <laughs> they did. A, I don't know if I've ever seen someone tiptoe around like that. <laughs> yes, but I can say the real jackass move. Sorry, you might have to edit that one. Um, that GE pulled. They did this huge propaganda that dredging the river um, to pick up the PCBs would actually cause the PCBs to be within the waterway. And that would, um, and they would just get in the air and it would cause cancer. And so, which is, you know, people are always scared of cancer and yeah. PCBs are carcinogenic, uh, but they, they actually stick to sediment. So that's not a concern. Uh, but I was on a first date with a guy and I told him what I did and he goes, oh, yeah, I mean, GE was right. My grandfather got cancer from the dredging. He's like, you, you guys messed up. And I was like, uh. Well, this date's not going to go well, but I'm going to explain to you. <laughs> yeah, so this date's probably over here, but I'm going to give you a little bit of an education. Romantically, yeah. it stops now. Scientifically, yeah. it kicks yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry about your grandfather, but... <laughs> oh, no. So, yeah, that date did, didn't go yeah. great. Yeah, I can't imagine it did. Yeah. <laughs> So then you finish up with that project and when did you start thinking maybe you'll go back to grad school? At, at what point? I was starting to think about that actually as a firefighter because I was loving the work I was doing, but I was considered like the quote unquote smart one. I had gone to undergrad. I was a female there. I was the only female that was um, full time. And there was, and we, I got to know the guys really well, and it definitely boosted my ego a bit. Um, and they, O'Malley in particular, he kept pushing me. He kept saying that he wanted me to go to not come back as a firefighter, actually. He said he wanted me back, but he, he wanted me to go do better things and to get an education. Um, so I started thinking about that, and I think he really motivated me and pushed me into that. So, mm -hmm. and then my supervisor at DEC, he was very open to the idea of me helping on this, like one main part of the project and then going to graduate school. And I think he wrote me a very great recommendation letter and it's very, it's, it's a lot easier when you had have a supervisor that you're open with and talking about, I'm thinking about leaving for this opportunity. You know, I don't yeah. have anything set. Mm -hmm. So. And it was honestly a fluke. I went to graduate school and I did. What happened was, just so silly looking back on it, I was dog sitting. I couldn't figure out how to use the remote. So I started just going on listservs looking for a graduate program. I figured like I don't have much of an excuse now. Mm -hmm. And I emailed who became my advisor. And he emailed me back asking if I would do an interview the next day. And I said, or was maybe the day after. And I said, sure. 
we talked on the phone. He was like, yeah, I think like, he'd be part of my program. And I was like, okay, <laughs> this all became way too easy. So, <laughs> yeah. And did he know about the remote too? or? <laughs> no, I didn't tell him. That's not what you bring up. I did the first time he met me, I did break multiple electronics within the hour of us meeting. So he probably. <laughs> so you have a history of it. <laughs> oh, I have a bad history. One of the electronics was me just, it was trying to rewire something and I uh, clipped the wrong end of the wire, which, you know, mm -hmm. bad. Red wire over the blue wire. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, you can't really fix that. Once you cut, it's, it's done deal. <laughs> it's done. So then, after, after, could you get in the period after graduate school and what you're currently doing right now? So I work for Churchill Consulting Engineers in South Jersey. I do mostly environmental permitting type work uh, for a lot of maintenance type projects. So for example, if there is a bridge that maybe needs repairs or um, there's erosion issues, we get to go out there, do an environmental assessment, a wetland delineation, which is like determining the boundaries of wetlands versus uplands. And there's a few other like environmental resources you look new and endangered species, um, waterways, and some like other minor things like acid producing soil. Um, and then I basically write a permit compliance statement. I figure out what's the easiest way for my client to get the work done. And I write the compliance statements and we send it off to the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection to get a permit. And yeah, that's pretty much what I do right now. A good point would be to go back more towards the beginning here, which where did your first, like, when did you first start getting in, interested in the environment? Was it like? animals that you're seeing around or do you remember a particular moment where you're like i want to pursue this as a career i don't remember but i've been told this by my parents multiple times that um they actually so we got the internet when i was 11 years old and a computer and they actually had to block the I think it was the world wildlife funds website because i was coming downstairs to dinner up in arms um multiple times of being like the panda bears <laughs> 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 and so i've always been passionate i would say and i think the internet and yeah it just kind of made me more um aware of what was going on at a very young age 11 and i know that it's at 16 i was already fully aware of climate change and i think the concern i started becoming concerned with uh what was happening in the world and so yeah i started yeah i started off in that earth club in high school and then that in college it, i took it a little step further with like activism which i very much enjoyed and i lived in a house it was called the tree house mm -hmm. it's not actually in a tree to <laughs> be Baller. Um, <laughs> but it was at Dickinson, they do this really cool thing, which I think every college should do. It's called special interest housing. So they have small houses for a specific interest. So we had a ton of houses. I mean, there was like the Spanish speaking house, um, there's arts house, there's a dance house, and we had the tree house. So that's where the environmental kids lived. And I think just being surrounded by people that were also very concerned was really great. And then I also worked at the Dickinson College Farm, which is 
a very reputable farm at this point. They have come a long ways. If you ever want to look into something really cool, the Dickinson College Farm, I can't give it enough credit for um, how it made me interested in farming. And, you know, I considered briefly being a farmer, but it's not really for me. (laughs) I like it. I like to garden. Um, But it was also just great because there was the interconnection of humans and where we get our food from and then all of the different uh, climate change different uh, components of like where we get our food in particular. So yeah, it just kind of sparked my interest even more. Yeah. 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 Cause you ended up doing that for, for what, three years working on the farm. Was that the whole time yeah. you were at school? Yeah. I started volunteering uh, my freshman year and it was, it was great. I mean, right now we can't do it cause they're actually going to do a virtual um, alumni weekend, but it's my 10th. I think it's my 10th year reunion. Anyway, my, um, my friend said that she, you know, all she really wants to do is go back to the farm. And so <laughs> and camp on the farm. That's some of my best memories is being at the farm. Um, they did like really fun dance nights in the barn and, and then, yeah, I, and I just loved it. What was it like day to day working on the farm? What were you doing? What you would expect that farm yeah. was, at the time was all vegetables. So, okay. uh, really good at, in the winter time, we would start prepping beds. When I w- worked there, we were in the middle of constructing some greenhouses. So there was a lot of tilling. There is, um, forget what it's called now, but it's it's tilling multiple times. So you'd spend your shift just digging dirt because oh, you're wow. just trying to get the ground ready. Um, right. And then the spring would be gathering vegetables. Sometimes you'd work uh, in the, in like the kitchen area, like canning. So that was fun um or making hummus uh so there was there was a lot of different things you do and then what i got to do my senior year was uh develop uh barriers using trees so it was you know we were planting the trees with the idea that they're gonna um grow as trees should and so there was a different there was a different couple of like sections of the farm they wanted to create some natural barriers so that was pretty cool because now it it also feels like i've left my mark a little bit on something Do you think be, significant? Do you think being hands-on at that kind of young age made you even more passionate about environmental issues? I think so. I think, but I think also it had a lot to do with the people I was being surrounded by. Um, so I, I think it was seeing people live and like talk and, it, you know, walk the walk basically. Yeah, I'm sure being surrounded because it's not like it was you were just in a club. I mean, between the treehouse and working on that farm, you're surrounded by those people 24 seven. Yeah, yeah. My roommate and I like we were very close. We even chose to not sleep in single rooms our senior year, which we could have done. We chose to keep sleeping in the same room together. So, <laughs> which now looking back on it is just hilarious because <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, I really like that. And I also, Dinginson pushed us to study abroad. Uh, and so I got to do that as well. And so when I was in Kenya doing the wildlife management program, that's kind of when I was realizing, oh, field work is a lot of fun. This is how you kind of get to, like, you get to do this and get paid to do this. This seems cool. So. And what did you do over in Kenya? What were you working on there? That was, so it was. And did you decide? 
Kenya or did, sorry to jump in there. Did you decide it though? Or was there, was that like the only option for you at that time to study? Oh no, there was a ton of options. Um, I wanted to go to Africa. My mom did not. My mom is still mad at my dad for signing the permission slip. That is still a touchy (laughs) subject, (laughs) but it was school for field studies. And I just thought it would be a really cool program because, you know, there's two main tracks, or at least that's how I saw at the time. Now I see things as being a little bit more combined at times where I could either go do field work or I could go do policy work. And I wanted to give a go to both. So I did Kenya for the wildlife management program and the really cool a uh, project we got to do while we were there was looking at the Savo and Baseli region. And we were um, measuring human encroachment within the park. So areas that they weren't supposed to be in. And so just how the, the park itself is shrinking. So. Is that okay. So that's not just poachers, but talking about like settling within the park's boundaries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, um, because, you know, part of it is the wildlife human conflict that happens mm-hmm. with that type of, uh, habitat, right. uh, encroachment. So did you, right. did you like it over there in Kenya? What was, what was a typical, what was day to day like there for you? I mean, it was awesome. I, we had a really great, uh, group of students. I think it was 30 of us. Uh, we lived right outside of a village and we, we were in a fully, uh, walled community because there there were some issues just with wildlife um there is a hippo nearby that was relatively violent hippos are <laughs> not what you mess with um we did have an elephant who made its way in just knocked down <laughs> some areas and got in um just unknowingly just so, crushing everything in its way yeah <laughs> yeah and like you don't you know they're beautiful creatures but you also don't want to piss them off um but it was it was magical i we'd wake up have breakfast we'd go to class um we had one classroom and we were i forget the four it was five courses it was like four main courses i think it was like wildlife management um wildlife ecology i forget the other two and then swahili and then we also we would get to go out to the village sometimes, uh, especially on Sundays. You got to go to church and then um, go to like a local bar afterwards. And that was a lot of fun. So definitely always went to church because <laughs> <laughs> the bar after was great. <laughs> um, and then we also got to do safaris, basically. So we were doing um, wildlife counts. So there was always there was always like some usually some sort of like educational instruction going along with whatever we were doing. So, and then for the, the big project where we were measuring human encroachment, that was like my first real experience with um, like doing GPS and GIS type of work where we were, we were physically walking the perimeter of the park. So that was really wow. cool because we got to see a lot of great wildlife that way. So. Yeah, I'm sure. Wow. Yeah. Were you a little, uh, were you a little worried about walking out there? Did you have like a team with you? I guess that we had, we always had a guide with us. Mm -hmm. So, um, no, I never, honestly, like all of my fears. Yeah. When I, when I think of like times that I've been terrified, (laughs) it's been walking in murky waters, knowing that there's like potential snapping turtles. Mm -hmm. That's probably been Mm -hmm. like the, 
it's when you can't see them. You can see elephants. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's that's how I feel too. My my nightmare scenario is just like in in the water in the middle of the night, and I'm just like, I don't know what's going on underneath me, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. seeing it. Yeah, the desert tortoise work. I think that like broke me. I guess I did it afterwards though. Yeah, that. Once I got through that, I think that a lot of my fear went away because I was working in the middle of the night in the desert alone. So, that oh was, man, <laughs> you got to get used to some and, things. Yeah, and and what do you, were you worried about there? Was it like I don't know? Is it scorpions that you look for? I don't know. What are the major threats in in the Mojave Desert? Well, a scorpion did get me, and that sucked. But I wasn't looking for it, so I may have saved myself. Um, mm-hmm. But that was fine. Honestly, my coworkers were really upset with me, but that's because I basically, I got, I got, I felt the sting and I didn't think much of it because, you know, working in the desert and I was doing radio telemetry for uh, desert tortoises. So we were, we were tracking them. And so I, I had to have my antenna up and I had like this where I'm listening for the beeps because mm-hmm. close, more beeps you get closer, the closer you are to the tortoise. And all of a sudden I noticed like within a few minutes, like my hand just kept dropping. And then I realized it was like just next to my leg and it was completely mm. numb. And I was like, Oh, oh this no. wasn't like, you know, a random bee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your arms just slowly going numb. And you know, I wouldn't worry about it. Oh, <laughs> and I did like out. a really, yeah. Well, I did a really shitty thing where I called my mom and I was like, Hey mom, how you doing? Just want to <laughs> know, can you look up real quick in Google? Like, are scorpions <laughs> fatal in America? <laughs> so, yeah, she didn't like that call. I'm <laughs> sick. Yeah. Oh my god. She was a good mom. With all mom calls, like mom, everything's okay, but I need you to. Do uh, she, she said she stopped worrying about me. She said that like she's done. She's done it for enough lifetimes, and she's <laughs> she's over it. And like I can truly attest to that. Like there was one time I um. When I was working with New York State, I got mono and strep at the same time. And I oh, got really, really dehydrated. And I was in urgent care and they decided to give me an IV and I, I passed out immediately. And like, all I remember is they, they asked my mom to lift up my legs and like it was coming too. And she's just like watching the TV, not looking at me at all. <laughs> and like, they had the ass ask her to help me and i was just like, what? she's like this is routine Any here concern? <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm not worried yeah was it kenya yeah. that did her and she goes after this all bets are off yeah no kenya did that in yeah so this is probably the worst thing i've done in my entire life was what did her in i was kind of hoping to avoid this story but that's okay i guess like you know air the grievances i was traveled uh, after uh the program ended uh to the coast with a friend and it was fine i was emailing my mom uh, a little bit uh and i said i would email her <laughs> so bad i told her i would give her a call when i got back um to mumbai and uh i didn't because i was running very low on funds and so i thought like i'm getting to the airport in two days it's fine i'll email her then she spent those next two days freaking out (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah no it's bad um my dad said that like you know it was just 
all bets are off. She just basically angrily paced around the house for 48 hours. And yeah, mm-hmm. so that, that's what did her in. So like, Poor you thing. know, to some degree. Yeah. <laughs> when she doesn't care that I pass out in urgent care, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did do that other thing. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she knows where you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is there any advice that you'd give yourself maybe while you were in high school or college? That's interesting. I don't I don't really know about advice that I would uh, give to myself. Mm-hmm. Cuz it's funny cuz I think sometimes like there's some there's some paths that I sort of regret and sometimes I don't regret them because everything always leads you back to where you were. I guess I would tell myself to relax a little bit <laughs> um, that you can't necessarily I would th- that was the time when I was like peak activist peak hippie peak freaking out about the world and I guess should have just chilled out a little bit more I should have mm-hmm. done that one thing that the hippies are <laughs> <laughs> stereotype doing and I should have just done that more. <laughs> so. uh, I, th- yeah. I think I think you said it yourself earlier that you know you tend to do things for like the season or like short stints. Um so that just makes me think what what's next for you then? I know you're at um at the Churchills now, but uh Churchill mm-hmm. Consulting, but uh, you got to be it thinking. Springs ahead. almost here. Yeah, it, it just seems like kind of your personality to always be thinking ahead in the next thing. So, what is that for you? Well, I think now I have actually started wanting to uh, be a little bit more stable. I got a dog, um, and that requires some stability. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was kind of big. I own a bed now. There's actual furniture. Whoa. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was for those years, for those five years between undergrad and graduate school, I could fit all of my belongings in my Honda Accord. And I'm a little <laughs> sad that I, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> um, so I think, I think stability, but I think what's coming with stability is saving money and then going on trips. So um, I'm lucky last fall I got to go. Well, not last fall because of COVID. Everything's all messed up because this year. The fall before COVID got bad. (laughs) (laughs) I went to Switzerland and that was a lot of fun. And, you know, now I'm thinking about the next trip when I'd like to go to Greece. So I think that's kind of how uh, I'm handling my travel bugness. It's, It's not as bad as it once was. I've calmed down a little bit. Yeah, I'd like eventually to like switch over to like the regular side of regulator side of life. Like right now I write the permits and request that they're good. I think eventually I'd like to be on the side that makes the rules. Um, but I, I do enjoy my day-to-day job. What advice would you give to someone? I know we asked you like what advice you would give to yourself, but as our audience, as we're trying to grow our audience of that demographic of people in college or just out of college, what what would your advice be to someone who's in that position and maybe doesn't know exactly what they want to do? They have different avenues, but they're having a tough time picking one. I would say just find a short-term internship. And if that one doesn't work, go to another internship. But that's also me. I'm a, I'm a mover. Um, mm-hmm. I would say that there's been a lot of things I've done that the job description doesn't always match up with what I did. And there's things that I thought I would really, 
that I would really like. And also you change. That's the one thing I would also tell people. I thought that I wanted to do field work, be outside 40 hours a week for the rest of my life. And that was, those were the type of jobs I was looking for field biology jobs. Now I'm okay doing wetland delineation once a month. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, I'm, I've gotten more used to office work. I like writing better. I, I think I'm more comfortable with writing. Um, and I actually, that's a piece of advice I would give somebody is if you are still an undergrad, I would take a writing course or an English course, anything that's going to be heavy in writing, because I've seen that be valued very heavily in a variety of positions. Z, you got anything else? No, I, I think that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much, Elise. This has been a ton of fun talking with you. And, uh, you know, you're, you're our first person involved in and environmental studies that we've had on. So we really appreciate your perspective on a lot of this stuff. And you have a really interesting career too, in terms of, you know, kind of jumping all over the place and all the internships and research positions you've held. Um, so yeah, thanks yeah. a ton for sharing your story with us and, and some of your insight too. Yeah. Yeah. No, no this was fun. I always like uh, going back and thinking about some things. So. Elise Rodriguez, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of After School Program. Make sure to follow our podcast and check us out on social media at ASPPOD and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you've been liking these episodes, do us a little favor and tell a friend who you think would like the show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next one.